Hey guys! This episode is part of a mini-series about sex, sexual health, and sexual taboos. It's three conversations with three women and their perspectives. I found it strangely difficult to ask questions to my friends and family about sexual health and contraception. And I wanted to understand what women face when having to inevitably deal with these issues. So, I put out an open call on my Instagram, asking for women to share their experience with getting the vaccine, and also, their thoughts about sex, sexual health, and different attitudes towards sex. This conversation is the third one, and it's about the struggles of not being able to discuss sexual health as a result of religious and parochial families and friends. We also talk a bit about virginity and the puritanical movement. I think this will be quite relatable for people who've grown up in such environments, and for people who've grown up in more liberal environments, this will be an eye-opener. Enjoy! Yeah, sorry that we were supposed to record last week. Uh, as you can see, I'm in a very nice uh, hotel room. Wow, yeah, I saw like, how did you get into quarantine order? So I, I learned drumming and my drum teacher, uh, who I learned with uh, 30 minutes a week, got tested positive for COVID. And Yikes. it's a one-to-one lesson. So, and it's a studio, right? So it's kind of a, mm. it's air conditioned, but it's kind of a very small yeah, enclosed space. space. Enclosed mm. space. So the school freaked out and it was very funny. They kept thinking that because it's like a school and like kids go and learn, right? They thought that mm. I was the parent of the person who was having the lesson. <laughs> so, so, so the first call was from the owner of the studio. It's like, hi, are you the mother of Clinton? So then uh, I said, like, no, uh, I am Clinton. So I, I, I take lessons. I don't earn. Yeah, so that was a thing. And um. I think everyone took an ART test on their own. Everyone was uh, tested negative, except for that mm-hmm. one teacher. La. And then it was very funny. Uh, after that, uh, MOH called me, right, to officially notify me that I was in quarantine. I had been waiting for about four days already. I self-quarantined mm-hmm. at home. And then mm-hmm. when MOH called me and then they said, uh, hi, am I speaking to the father of Clinton? <laughs> <laughs> So so that's how no, I know. I am Clinton. <laughs> so that's how I know that Trace Together doesn't have your personal information, right? Because they, because uh, they don't know. Okay, the guy didn't know how to spell my name because my name has a weird uh, spelling, uh, and he uh, doesn't know that my, my full name is official name is So Clinton. Uh. So uh, I had to fill him in on that information, and I think he didn't have my NRC number. Also, he just knows that he came into contact, and he got some information from the drum school. Or maybe the my teacher that mm. uh, I could have been a student or his student is my child. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard before. Like, so I I've seen someone who was actually is actually working with like the government data and stuff. So mm. he does that kind of thing. And then basically, what they do is they just they have, everyone has a unique Bluetooth or some phone ID. Mm. Or when it comes to the token, there is a unique ID. Mm. So then it belongs to this person and that's the data that they get because if they can get any more it's like quite CSI kind of level CSI yeah, yeah. CSI-ish yeah so yeah. And, yeah. Uh, anyway I, I got shipped here finally on Saturday so I had met my teacher on Sunday so that was like a full five days and everything so it was quite a, it was quite hectic then but I've managed to settle down and um, <laughs> yeah, I've actually this is actually quite good cause, because there's no one here right I can get some of my yeah. uh, podcast editing work done. Yeah. And also the room looks actually very nice. Where, where are you at? I'm at Hotel Oh, okay, I know. Right next to, near the hospital. Yes. Um, I, yeah. I would say it's, it's not bad. I'm a bit picky, but overall, I think the room is fine. The king, I have a king-size bed to myself, which is great. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a bit dusty. No bathtub, <laughs> but okay, I'm not complaining. There's... <laughs> The, the view is not bad. Uh, I'm not sure. Sh- uh, I haven't posted anything yet because uh, I, yeah. I'm, a bit, I'm still a bit careful about like who I tell mm-hmm. that I'm in quarantine. But yeah, okay. So uh, I've been editing the 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 episodes of the other two girls that also who also wanted to talk about a bit of like HPV and like sexual health and like sex in mm-hmm. general. So mm-hmm. I, the first girl was actually someone I met on the dating app. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but we didn't do anything, la, as in, because it, 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 didn't, it didn't work out. But 
uh, I think she wanted to talk about it, and her her angle was that you know the HPV vaccine is a very personal thing; it's a health thing. So like, mm. just go and get it and whatever, right? And then she talked a bit about contraception and how the process of getting an IUD shoved up uh, shoved into your cervix is like apparently it's very <laughs> painful. Uh, yeah, it is. Apparently, a lot of people fainted. So I like to watch these kind of videos for fun. <laughs> Where do you watch these videos? Um, yeah, on YouTube. I get my IUD in. I mean, that's why YouTube recommends me because there was a period of time I was searching for contraceptives and okay. the options. Yeah, so like searching for doctors to everything. So mm. I've, I've looked up online, offline, and I chose offline because I understood that, you know, like maybe I have some complications to like my own like menstrual health because mm. I have very irregular periods. So like if I just get those like offline i'm not sure which one suits me the best oh you mean online so i felt if you get it online then you it online sorry online yeah, so yeah. i felt like i need to consult a physician first before yeah i go and get my contraceptive basically I so see, see. yeah so that was the thought process for me hmm. and when i went to the doctor actually i have quite a few instances mm-hmm. um my first sexual health checkup was like around like 21 years old after my first relationship so before that i had no idea what sexual health education or like checking out sexual health because Mm. i think my ex-boyfriend at that time was just so weird about it he was like he's basically um very misogynist kind of guy yeah (laughs) so i actually asked him about like should I go for like sexual like health and everything and then he was like no 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 you shouldn't do this because like you do this then everyone will know that that, that something like you got multiple partners and it's just a bit weird and then he was like you don't Mm. trust me right do you not trust that I I, I'm not clean and then he was like I already checked many times already I'm clean then I was like okay cool but so after I break I went to the checkup and at that time it was more like a full body checkup Mm. and I did it I did it overseas okay. uh, with my auntie, my external family, and not in Singapore. And basically, it's just more towards uh, as more towards like um, cancer, like cancer around the mm. the the reproductive organs, yeah, and like Pap smear and all this. So my family is super conservative and also very controlling when I'm overseas. Mm. So um, when I, it was my turn to do that kind of check, right? My auntie told me, uh, just tell them that you're virgin because what if people know that you're not virgin? Then wow, like, okay. like you shouldn't. Yeah, but I, I, I told my auntie in the face, like, I'm not going to lie. And so what if I'm not a virgin? Mm-hmm. Like, it does not depreciate my worth as a woman mm-hmm. because I just feel like it's very sad. Like, in Asian culture, or at least in my culture that I grew up with, chastity is something that it's very... um very talked about only Mm. for girls i don't hear it for like my brothers or my male cousins Mm -hmm. so yeah growing up it was like basically every woman head of the household will be like you know if there is a very christian thing i guess it's like if you (laughs) you have sex before marriage is unclean Mm -hmm. or you're unclean also and you need to cleanse yourself yeah i actually talk about this on one of my previous podcast episodes with a guy who left Christianity. So yeah. um, I, I think there's a certain obsession about controlling sex in Christianity. I think for a couple of reasons. One reason is uh, because of patriarchy la, in Christian organizations, not necessarily yeah. the doctrine, but the organizations. Yeah. And secondly, it's, it's kind of like a low-hanging fruit kind of thing. It's more specific it's easy it's to very, target. It's very specific to women in yeah. my in the culture that I grew up with. Yeah. To give you guys context, I'm half Indonesian and half Singaporean, right? Yeah. So I I live across both countries. Yeah. So both countries, like I have to attend churches, right? So in the Singapore church, it was very very weird. Like basically, we were taught that. You know, if you do have sex, that it's basically someone's soul that is attached to you, mm-hmm. and then also the negative part of the person is also attached to you. So you need to oh. summon these these uh, negative things and these some some might call it demons out 
Mm-hmm. After you have sexual intercourse. Wait, what kind of church is this? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I cannot mention the church. I okay, cannot okay. mention the church. Yeah, but okay, okay, I see. I, I, like I don't crazy. know. La. Yeah, there's a lot of these. They don't necessarily quote like a Bible verse when they tell you, they tell you this. No. Right? Yeah, so it's no. a, bit very, a bit gray and stuff like that. But yeah. yeah. But I can imagine like what you said just now that it's very hard to talk about like even getting checks for STIs with a conservative family because they will look at you and like, why, why do you need to check? And like, yeah, don't you know. check, you know, better. What if, you know, someone, because you said, I did a check in Indonesia. So say, what if someone, because the world is very well connected. What if someone is in hospital and then they pick up your information and then they realize that eh, you're not virgin anymore. I was like, would someone go through that effort? You know, like, to like, find out whether you're a virgin or not. Seriously? Like, like virgin is not a medical status. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, but... Yeah. Okay, but so, I, yeah, I guess don't, people don't really think about it in the Singapore context because it's honestly none of the doctor's business right over here. Correct. I guess yeah. because my family, we come from a very well-connected society, I guess. So mm. we are very afraid of reputation. Mm, our yeah, reputation being um, harmed in any way. So honestly, like I am my family's black sheep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so that happened. So in Singapore, like my the church believed in this way. And mm. on top of that, I was in a youth group and they only allowed us to dig within the youth group. So they tried to make the, the youth group as big as possible. Like the cell what? group okay. has 100 people, boys and girls. 100. And then they hope, they hope that we within the cell group and if we don't date within the cell group even though it's the same religion they either try to make the guy come to the church and the cell group or you know rebuke the guy and so that's what happened to my sister and her partner yeah wow. so it's like okay. very very weird kind of church system basically the church has very 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 funny rules only applied to women mm-hmm. so um, if you are a member of the church you cannot wear pants. If you wear your dresses and your skirts, it has to be on knee length mm. and nothing shorter than your knee length. And you cannot wear makeup. So this is for prevention of uh, seduction of men. Which secondary school is this? <laughs> yeah, okay, so yeah. Um, I've been through like both of these kind of like, I would say religious culture and background. Mm. And yeah, I honestly like didn't like both of them. <laughs> yeah. So when I stood up and I told my aunt about it, and then when she realized that I wasn't a virgin anymore, she actually offered me to sew back my hymen. She gave me pamphlets to, to surgeons because she's afraid that, you know, if you ever get married and mm-hmm. if they realize that your hymen is not there anymore and you don't bleed on your first night, they will immediately like, like they don't want you anymore. They will like divorce you. So it's like like a refund. Like, mm. okay, within what, 30 days if the hymen <laughs> out there. Oh no. Yeah. 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 So my family is that kind of like crazy. <laughs> That's why I say that my family is just very different. Because mm. I realized that not many people go through what I, what I go through or mm. at least to the extreme. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like, um, I mean, the hymen is not really... The, Correct, it does, it does work, not exist. Work, I mean, it's not a thing. Exactly. Uh, like, I broke my hymen during like, gymnastic class when I was young. So, yeah. I mean, who asked them to send me to a girls' school? So, <laughs> You know, there's a very well-known mega church in Singapore, which I used to go to. And the mm. daughter of the head pastor has a child out of wedlock. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, Wait, are we from the same church? Uh, I mean, it's it's four letters, lah. So, yeah, same. So I quite a few flings here and there in between for mm. like two or three years, and I figured out my way through like sexual health and sexual ed and all this kind of stuff. Like I mm. learned so much because obviously with the background that I grew up with, it's mm-hmm. very abstinence-based, whereas actually sexual health and education should be revolving around more of like a medical point of view. Yeah. I mean, mm. yeah, I mean, you can abstain as much, but then like once 
what happens, what you do. For example, we can abstain from eating like food that is not prepared in a hygienic manner. Yeah. But let's say that if we do happen to have food poisoning, do we mm-hmm. blame the person for having bad food or do we sim- sympathize to the person? So yeah. it has the same thing here. Mm-hmm. Like sexual health, like let's say you get an STD, gonorrhea or whatever, mm-hmm. um, unconsciously in this society, people will dub you as uh, you most likely sleep around or what. Yeah. When actually gonorrhea, you could get like, it's out of all the sexual encounters, like 30% of all unprotected sex you can get gonorrhea. That's how common it is. Yeah, so one of the girls that I spoke to before you, her mom has the herpes virus and mm. it, she accidentally passed it to her brother. Like one day she had like an open sore and then mm. they, they shared food. La. And so like that's one way that these infections can spread. La. It's not necessarily like sexually. <laughs> the other thing that yeah. I, I wanted to say was like you could, for example, like go through like all the proper Christian motions, whatever, right? Like you date within the cell group and everything, then you like save your virginity for marriage and then you get married and then the night of your wedding, you find out, oh my goodness, he, he has gonorrhea from somewhere. Then what? Do you return to sender? <laughs> yeah, like, and it's, I think it's really a very, I do realize it's quite a horrible patriarchy and societal problem when someone from your family can tell you that, oh, if, you know, if they find out that you're not a virgin, they can return you. Mm-mm-mm. And it doesn't happen to men. Like, Mm-mm. how is there a way that you can tell whether a guy is a virgin or not? How you know a person is a virgin or not is basically on sexual performance. No, eh, some right? guys say, like, are married, have sex for many, many years, and then they cannot please their wife. So <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> so, nope, nope. Yeah. Yeah. So, I guess, like, that's my... That's something that I'm quite passionate about, which is to advocate for like sexual health and sexual education and that it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, it's nothing taboo. Uh, and you'll be very surprised. You think that, you know, Singapore, especially the Gen Z, is are very woke, right? But people around my age, which is like Gen Z millennial, many of them are actually still very conservative, especially those that are in religious groups like they still get stuck in that mindset like when I talk to someone of the cell group again Mm. uh, she still talks in that way and I just felt like super weirded out so it's not just them like there are mm. like non-religious people also who are very squeamish about talking about sex or like they are also like maybe not sexually active at all even though they have a partner or at least Mm. that's what they want us to believe whatever it is it, it's kind of um, this black box where you really don't know like who's doing what and no one really wants to know what other people are doing when mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be the case like it doesn't really matter if you if you make it too much of a big deal right then you end up in the situation that we're in and people as a result cannot talk about their sexual health uh, which I think is something yeah. you want to avoid right yeah and there's there's so many advances in the technology of medical health that it's not the end of the world when mm. you do have like any one of them. Mm. Like maybe HIV is a bit like it's a bit harder to cure, but there is still a lot of repressant drugs that would actually like to curb these um symptoms of HIV mm. and and the and the growth of the virus in your body. But the the cure is on its way. That's what I heard. Yeah. So, I mean, the way HIV is now is more akin to like a, a chronic disease. Like maybe say, mm-hmm. for example, people take diabetes medication, insulin Yeah, it's every like someone day, with right? high yeah. blood pressure, they have to take a medicine every day. Yeah. So these medications prevent the virus from flaring reaching up, its fi- yeah. like flaring up and reaching its like final stage. La. And um, I mean, of course, we want to prevent HIV from like, you know, transmitting in the first place. So please, you know, get mm. like wear condoms. Yeah. Yes, safe sex. Yeah, there, there was this video called um, Drama 10 years back um, about AIDS and HIV. Wow. And um, honestly, like, I felt like it was not really a very good portrayal of mm. um, HIV and AIDS because uh, it made it look like it's a terminal disease mm. when actually, like, now HIV is like, like what you say, we have medication and you take it diligently mm-hmm. to actually stop the, the disease from flaring up. The thing is that 
even with that kind of messaging, right, it's not very helpful in stopping the spread of HIV. Like, I think what's... I think, in yeah. fact, it stops people from getting checked up. Like, yeah, like, people are afraid that, okay, what if I get my health, uh, my, my sex, sex check on and I realize that I have these problems? Mm. Yeah, which is yeah. what I did, actually. I went to get checked for several STIs. Not mm. because I felt like I was at risk or anything, but because I have never done it before and I thought I should like give it a try. And I had a blood test and then I waited a few days and during a few days there was uh, this sense of trepidation in me. And it's like, oh my goodness, like like what if there's actually something, you know? Like <laughs> the chances are like maybe zero like point one percent, like as far as I know mm-hmm. from my own activity. But yeah, what if, mm-hmm. right? So Imagine if you expose yourself to a risk, like you must feel way worse. So like, you know, to save yourself that, that shock and subsequently your medical bills and everything, it's just, just buy the condom. <laughs> yeah, but certain situations, I like, really can't help it. Like I did have a situation that happened to me and basically mm-hmm. no protection was used. Mm. And um. Well, the first thing I did was to go to a GP, right? Yes. To try to get a morning after pill because I don't know whether things can happen. So anyways, I went to get the morning after pill and the GP was very judgmental also. Basically, he he was staring up and down at me like, yeah, so what? You know, like I'm here oh. as a patient. You should be non-judgmental. I want to get mm. things like you shouldn't try uh-huh. to pry into my privacy and or give me that judgmental look so it makes things so uncomfortable for me when I'm mm. trying to, when I'm really going through such a difficult time. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the GP itself sells the morning after pill, right? So what does he expect? Correct. <laughs> but he kept asking me like questions, mm. but I felt like it wasn't necessary because it was more of asking me what really happened when mm. the gist of is that I want to take it because I had unprotected sex and I'm very worried if I get an unwanted pregnancy. It's almost like he was he just wanted you to say it for no apparent Correct. reason, right? But Correct. Yeah. I think related to this uh, and part of what you mentioned like very early in the conversation is I think Singapore has this rule about you can't buy birth control pills unless it's prescribed mm-hmm. from a doctor. So like every time you want to buy, you have to go and get a prescription from a GP, which is not something that people in other countries need to do. So exactly. You, when so you, I was working in Australia, basically we help pharmacists to disp- dispense them that kind of medication and like birth control, literally people can just come out like, oh, I want birth control. I want the mm-hmm. 21 days. And basically we get it within five minutes. Whereas in Singapore, I have to go through a consultation. I have to pay extra con- doctor's consultancy fee. And then on top of that, the medicine, which is double the price of overseas. Like yeah. in Australia, it's about $20, whereas in Singapore, like the cheapest you can get is around like $30, $40. I remember, you know, back when we could still travel, that they have those services like, you know, AirFrov, like you ask people yeah, yeah. to go overseas and then like help you buy stuff, right? So like, I, I know about AirFrov because I always go to Japan and people want to buy like Japanese snacks and stuff like that. But then if you look at some of the listings through AirFrov, I think for people who go to Bangkok, like one of like the restrict the most requested items is a birth control pill. Oh. Like people just like ask others to buy boxes back for them. Yeah. Mm. Because uh, I mean you can't ask your aunt or your mom or your brother to help you buy, right? Which so, is unfortunate because we should make these kind of topics open. Like mm. or actually children should actually feel comfortable to talk mm. to their family about it because family should be should actually be the most non-judgmental people in your life. Mm. However, unfortunately, our present-day um, society, family can be the most judgmental people in your life. They've always been, right? Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> So I was going to ask you, how's your relationship with your parents or how do they view you and do they know like what your aunt knows? Do um, they know the extent of your sexual activity? Okay, I would say that they do know to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. It was because I decided to reveal it to them mm. because I thought that it would give them certain light because I did not really have a good first relationship. And then after that, I you know I went through I went through certain things, like certain like sexual events, which I hope no girl can go 
go through. Mm. And these kind of sexual events can also impact your mental health a lot yep. and your perception of self-worth, especially if you know you grow out to think that you know woman's worth is really a lot on her purity. I felt very dirty. Mm-hmm. And um, I tried to share it so that because my, my parents were very worried about like, my mental health, but unfortunately, they did not accept it very well. Uh, oh. My parents, by the way, are actually cell group leaders, <laughs> oh. religious leaders. Oh, okay. And um, they did not accept it well. And um, basically, my parents were like, oh, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And instead of like wanting to comfort and console me, and mm. that was something that really broke my heart. So I guess um, if any parents is like listening to this podcast and your daughter has went through a certain traumatizing event, I would say, you know, all they want is just to tell them that they are still loved and they're still okay. Don't, mm. don't need to ask about the details of what happened that night because we never want to relieve any one of these events mm-hmm. and also you need to constantly reassure the person that despite what is happening like or what has happened you as a person is not your worth is not deteriorated or affected by it but your worth is based on who you are as a person your personality your experiences and it's not based on physical characteristics like the way you look and in you know in this very weird dna where it still exists chastity which i don't understand why <laughs> yeah is it I, I do think that it is a very made-up thing by men because uh, men are afraid of underperforming and like mm. they, they're afraid that if girls have too much experience then you know, they expect more i don't know what's your like take on that uh okay first let me address the you know, chastity is not even like the the antithesis of looks it's just a completely different concept altogether because uh, i yeah. know girls who dress up very nicely put a lot of makeup wear very revealing clothing and everything right they are not necessarily very sexually active whereas i also know girls who just wear you know their regular shorts a t-shirt and they don't wear makeup they go around their daily life, life and then they have a lot of sex but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so it's this paradox that society has imposed on women. It's the, you know, you have to be angel in the streets that then devil in the, sh- the sheets or whatever, that kind of thing, right? Like that is the expectation thrust mm. upon women at, at the end of the day. So um, then uh, your question was about, are men afraid of women because they fear underperforming? Uh, okay, firstly, that assumes that men are concerned with performing. <laughs> Sorry, can you clarify your question again? Um, like this whole concept about, you know, purity and chastity is is not even in religious books. Mm, yeah. um, what the religious books teaches is that we should dress appropriately so that we don't uh, encourage temptation. Mm. But it's a two way thing. So, girls, we don't purposely try to entice men and, yeah. and for guys they need to learn how to control themselves but uh, they don't know <laughs> when you see like the history of christianity a lot of the leaders in the churches tend to be male and i do believe like is it because they want to protect themselves as male and that's why they're like oh i make religious rules based on what benefits men so okay so i think th- there are a couple of layers here that we uh, don't necessarily need to unpack but i'll address them very quickly number one doctrine and dogma sometimes are fulfilled for their own sake right maybe the pastor isn't really thinking about it right he's just this was the way it was done and i'm just going to do it and he hasn't really applied like a a single ounce of critical thinking Mm -hmm. right yeah so then about the point which you raised earlier about like this idea of like chastity and getting your women to dress conservatively i think part of a patriarchal mindset that is that of almost like a conqueror like mm-hmm. they want to get as many virgins as possible and and this is scripture in both i think the bible and the quran and things like that right like virgins are stuff to be claimed i i said stuff and 
not people because they are literally a commodity. So the more mm. virgins you have, the the better, right? And then secondly, when you control women's uh, appearance and also their sexual activity, then you control their choice of mate, like kind of thing. Like you're protecting your these women from getting by other men. Yeah. Right? So I think that adds up to the current state of affairs that we have right now. Mm, So it's like a mishmash of patriarchal mindset and the mindset of a conqueror where the more you have, the more your social status is. Yeah, I think maybe you can also call it a bit like small penis syndrome. So it's like... (laughs) You small know, dick like, energy. <laughs> yeah, small dick energy. Like they wanna they wanna make sure that the women don't go around to with other men. Whereas they don't realize that if you are a really, really good man, then women will just like naturally flock to you, like you don't have to control, you don't have to impose all these rules. They just I, I don't want to say do your bidding, but like you have way more influence over them than you think by letting them mm. free. Yeah. So I was talking to a friend of mine and, and her partner researches a lot about this as well. And uh, actually the, the concept of Christianity and um, virginity stuff actually derived in pretty recent times in mm. somewhere around like the 1970s. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is created by a woman. So it's quite scary. Like, Where was this movement from? From the US. Oh, unsurprisingly. So, okay. So it's a Christian movement by the US where they talk about purity and purity ring. And that's why mm-hmm. you see 10 years ago, purity ring was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it came from that kind of teaching by this woman. I can't remember her mm-hmm. name, but like she she taught in, in the US and basically her teaching is that we should be as pure as possible and chastity and everything. And a woman's world should be based on chastity. And it's good to always wear a ring to show that you know, you're pure. And you'd be very surprised that even churches in Singapore, like there's this movement called like the Father's Movement in Singapore. I shall not name it. So basically, um, my father attended it, and my sister went for it because he had to bring one daughter along. And um, <laughs> it wasn't gonna be you. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not a daddy's girl. <laughs> but I think she, they made my sister try to get a, a chastity, a purity ring. Okay. Okay. Yeah, oh. and I just felt like that was so weird. Like, so it's an event for father and daughter bonding. Oh, I think but, I've seen it. Uh, like in a news article. But why like, news are you yeah. encouraging? Why do you need to to ask the girl to like, or your daughter to to sign? You know, mm. like, why not the mother? Keep her purity. Like, why not the mother? Not, really, yeah. As in, I understand the movement, and it's good because like, okay, because fathers are especially Asian fathers are very um traditionally more um, distant from their children compared mm. to mothers. And mm. so this is a movement to encourage this closest between father and child. Mm. But how does it play along with, you know, with, with purity? It's just, mm, it's a bit strange. And if I remember correctly, they try to teach them that their fathers are actually protectors of their daughters. Purity okay. is very so, strange. So do they do a father and son thing? Um, they have a father and son thing, but they don't talk about purity at all. It's only daughters. So yeah, we can yeah. see observe a double standard here. Yeah. Correct. So society has this double standard where women um has these rules and set of uh, values to follow, and men basically do not have. So back to my story, like my family is very very particular about how a girl should behave, uh, and how a girl should should look, and how a girl should uh, be in the house so that she can be a good spouse or she can be an ideal spouse for their husband. Mm. Yeah. For example, like a woman must know how to cook and clean. Very, very traditional kind of values. Yeah. And at the same time, we have to be very capable and we have to work because we have to be extraordinary. Because as daughter, like you are waiting in line for men to like cherry pick you and uh, you have to be the best of the best. And actually not too long ago, like a relative of mine did spoke to me and he said that, you know, you are 25 already. You're not that young, but you're not that old, but like um, you have to you have to think, okay, you're dating someone, you should get married by 27, 
if you get any get married later than 35 it's very alarming and dangerous and maybe like wow you won't be able to find someone uh, mm. and nobody will want you actually so this kind of very damaging kind of mindsets is still uh. perpetuating our society even though we are this modern and why does a woman have an expiry date and men don't so mm. like he's he so this relative continued and he said that oh for men um you know, they can get married at 50 years old. It does not matter because they can continue to bear children. Mm-hmm. But for women, you're like one of your purposes as a woman is also to have a family and you only can have a family like before menopause or before 35 is an ideal age. So, and if you still talk to like young yeah. people like around my age, like they say, yeah, I, can, I should get pregnant before like 35 years old. Yeah, so that like, I, can, I can have children that's why now is the best time to someone <laughs> and it, yeah it, this is actual conversations from mm-hmm. um, in 2021 by you know uh, women in their mid-20s it's very funny my first ex i remember she mentioned to me once that she wanted to get married by 26 and she was like 21 at the time i look at her i was like wait what <laughs> 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 like okay okay sure I mean, you know, there are many, many reasons for settling down. It's always, you know, pros and cons, right? But I think the biggest disservice we are doing to everyone here is we uphold them to a standard and we tell them they should act a certain way. Like, you know, like everything you mentioned, like, you know, how to be an ideal woman, spouse, daughter, everything roll into one, right? You have to be Wonder Woman, basically. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, this doesn't guarantee that you will land a spouse, even if you do all that. Right? And even if you do, it doesn't guarantee you a happy marriage. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So the most important lesson is to be yourself. Uh, and I mean, you do all the good you can do, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, all have seen and fallen short of God, right? So just <laughs> chill, chill out, chill out, you know, just be yourself. And I think the, the right guy, the right guy who will accept you for what you are, or a girl who will accept you for what you are, will come along. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah, like sometimes, you know, you'll be very surprised that certain people do look at certain experiences with very close-minded lenses, mm-hmm. like men around my age or when we're like dating around. Like I did talk to to some guys and like they are actually afraid of how forward I am. One of the reasons why like my first boyfriend was also a very toxic guy because I did have these kind of values. Like I didn't want to live like how my family the standards my family put onto and I felt like you know like as a woman we should be equal to men or we should try to be equal with both genders it does not mm. vote like one way and he did not believe in these values and um it's quite a thing actually so um so he's Korean mm. I think in Korea especially like if you do have these kind of values you adopt as a feminist and over there um feminism isn't really isn't taken very well like mm-hmm. uh, recently the archer the olympic archer she she was forced to like take down like her, her title or something like by the netizens because they thought that she was a feminist yeah it's and just this fringe group of south korean incels that it's not very... fringe though it's it's actually very you'll be very surprised it's actually very common there are a lot mm-hmm. of men that actually think right and it's quite scary like even in this modern day society or you think that, you know, Korea is very forward or modern with concepts about love. It's, you know, with their Korean dramas and their music. But actually, they still have this very strong patriarchal um, mindset. And like, they still do believe that as a woman, you should, you should cook my breakfast, lunch and my dinner. Mm-hmm. On top yeah. of going to work. Yeah, yeah, and I think part of the problem with that society and also a lot of like patriarchal and misogynist attitudes is that women also reinforce these beliefs, right? I, I mean, instead of helping like, your I, fellow go out, you just like, you're correct. just trying to make them feel like, bad. Yeah, they pass on these kind of values, like as familial values. Like in my case, my family keeps passing it on to these kind of values. And although like I respect the women in my family very much, and they've been through a lot. But one thing I'm a bit disappointed is that even though they've been through so much, their lens is still like, I still need to serve the men. Mm-mm-mm. And um, 
yeah, that's why I say I'm like my family's black sheep. So I actually did speak out to my family about this. And mm. I told my family, like, I'm not going to be, I, I don't want to be a wife that you have envisioned me to be. Like, mm. you know, if I want to wear a certain thing, I'll wear a certain thing. I don't want to be controlled by what I wear. Mm. And I don't want to be controlled by just staying at home and being a housewife mm. and, and taking care of the children. If childbearing should be, uh, not childbearing, child rearing should be the responsibility of both parents, not just the woman herself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, I spoke that up and like, and, and these kind of values are very worrying, not only because of um, how damaging it can be, but um, yeah, it, it, it like destroys like a, a woman's like self-worth. So imagine if you grow up in an environment where you're only taught like that. Mm. So it took me a while to actually try to like break free of this mindset. Like, okay, my worth is only if I am a good cleaner or if I am a good cook or if I, I am submissive to my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and because I am not, considered and I'm not pretty also like in my family standards I'm considered like quite ugly so like I I actually went to like get some I got my double eyelids done because mm. my family kept saying like okay like oh your eyes so small and everything so this patriarchal value about chastity and purity right it's yes. quite overarching and it, it actually affects like every aspect of life and it's quite scary so after going through all this I told myself like I'm never gonna let anybody going to experience the same thing as I did mm. I'm going to I'm going to stand up so like whenever they try to do like certain things to like my younger cousins I told them like you know that's yeah. not the right thing to do that's not the right thing to say like you think they always think it as like ah it's just like a, a small remark they won't remember Mm-mm. but um like every single remark that they told me I always remembered it yeah, like these kind of remarks, like these are the so-called typical like Chinese New Year style remarks, right? It's like yeah. off the cuff, like, I mean, not just with regards to like your appearance or sex, but like even things like, oh, you're, yes. you gain weight or whatever, or, or you, you didn't go to this university or whatever, like, because they don't know anything, right? So mm-hmm. that's the like the most superficial thing and the most, that's the best thing they can say mm-hmm. already. And they don't realize but- that these off the cuff comments, right? Like, is your only memory of these people. So imagine that like, you see these people once a year, right? And all they have to say to you, right, is an insult. Yeah, okay, sorry. No, 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 I completely agree with you. And and what's even more damaging is that, you know, these comments are so rampant in modern day society. Like, even when you meet, not only with older people, even when you meet out with, like, girlfriends, or let's say, ah, oh, I haven't seen you since, like, lockdown. And then you see, oh my gosh, you gained weight. Honestly, like, that kind of remark, could be hurtful if that person is going to, um, you know, eating image, disorder, eating yeah, disorder, body, body dysmorphia, yeah. mm. binge eating, and yeah. and um, many more. Like yeah. people need to understand the weight of the things that they say yeah. and how it affects them yeah. or affects the the receiving party. Yeah, I think one important life skill for everyone to have is that just let people talk about themselves. You just need to, you know, just lay out a bit of bait and people will tell you what they want to share about their lives, right? Mm. You, don't, you don't have to like set and frame the question the way you want it to be, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like words do carry weight and I, I myself have gone through that quite a fair bit and I, I'm going through quite a fair bit because mm. of the remarks people say to me and um, no one especially maybe in like Singapore context, like mental health has been something that is not talked about. So for the longest time, I didn't know how to navigate around these thoughts that I have, these feelings I have. I always thought that, you know, maybe I'm overthinking, maybe I'm, maybe I'm just overthinking and stuff. Honestly, like everybody's experience is valid and yeah, you shouldn't invalidate someone or, you know, tell these kind of remarks Thanks for waiting. Hello. Hello. Uh, I've been eating four meals a day because uh, my friends keep trying to deliver <laughs> food to me. So, so uh, nice of them. Yeah, they do. But for example, but if they send me lunch, right? So that means I have two lunches. Yeah. Or if they send me dinner, that means I have two dinners. Yeah. Maybe think of it as bulking up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, so I actually have to like do a lot of exercise to try to like burn the calories. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So do you 
feel like you want to talk about anything else because I feel like the points we covered already. So, um, I think okay. I want to talk more about like more of like help itself. Like if we do experience certain like traumatic events, mm-hmm. we do need to reach out for help. And um, what really helped me a lot was when I reached out to Aware. Mm. And um, mm, oh. so then I reached out to the SACC and I had a lot of questions asked to them. I was very um, confused by a lot of the things that happened to me. Like, because as girls, I don't know why, but we tend to self-blame when, or I myself at least, tend to self-blame when things happen. So a lot of things, I blamed it on myself. So I called the hotline and I asked the person, I, and I like cried my heart out to the person. and. And it was good to not only have a listening ear, but to someone that is actually trained, not only listen, but trained with the verse of that kind of like universe, like what is consensual, what is not consensual, yeah. or is it your fault, is it not your fault, and also provide like the emotional support and morale. Mm. And, and if you do go through anything, like do not be afraid to seek out for help. What I did previously was I went through this service called CHAT, so it's actually a mental health service in Singapore yeah, yeah. for Singapore. youths. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I went to there, but they didn't really diagnose me any, anything much. And then after that, I think people don't know about trauma is that a lot of us survivors tend to suppress these kind of memories. Mm, yes. Yeah, yeah so what happened was when I went to chat, the chat person told me that actually you're living a very good life and you have like no problem with your mental health. Oh. Yeah, but um, I had a similar I, experience. Yeah, <laughs> how's it? So I, I think maybe four years ago, I must have called chat and told them that I was suicidal, and yeah. I I answered some of the questions, and they told me, actually you're okay. Don't don't worry too much <laughs> about it. And I was like, oh okay, I didn't realize that, but thanks. And mm-hmm. yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah, but you were saying you know someone who. Uh, I I met. I met some people along the way and um, they opened me up and that's when I realized that, oh, I have so many things to unravel. Like I have so many suppressed memories Mm. that I think it's a body's um, physical mechanism to actually protect yourself. Yeah, so that was what happened and thankfully that was the the hotline to call. Yeah, and it did help that... um, and my my best friend was actually she actually told me okay I'll be there for you so it's always very good to have someone to be there for you mm-hmm. yeah and actually how I'm going through this time of my life right now is actually through a lot of things to the internet <laughs> you know that's the blessing and the blessing of the internet is the wealth of information and if it's used correctly and reached out to the correct people yeah they're able to to help people. Just like, you know, if I hope someone that listening to this podcast with similar experience to mine, yeah. that, you know, they won't, they won't be afraid to reach out for help. Yeah, in Singapore, there's SACC and then like, I do read quite a lot of Instagram accounts. There's one called like the Depression Project. I yeah. feel like that one's really good. I'm working on my codependency. So a lot of codependency accounts, and a lot of anxiety accounts actually, yeah, they're really helpful and making me think that, okay, I'm not the only one going through this and they also teach you like coping mechanisms to how you can manage your feelings but of course everyone's experience is very different and mm. and it's always like recommended to always go and reach out to someone professional yeah, someone yeah. that can they'll be able to listen to you objectively and tell you like how you're feeling and and you don't need to be like like a dire mental health state to to reach out to someone to talk to someone it's yeah. like hmm I think one one way that the internet is the best it's ever been now is that all this content, right? Like specifically maybe identifying certain disorders or issues that you are facing. It's all like very nicely done up on Instagram, like in very concise slides. People have put in a lot of effort to actually create and share this information. And it's also shareable. Uh, it's made very brightly colored so that, you know, a serious message is out there. It looks visually appealing and like people actually are drawn to it and they actually read it, right? So I really, really agree with what you said about trying to get professional help because most people have their own issues to deal with and let alone try to help someone else with that issue. But when 
people come to you and they confide to you and that they went through you know th- this traumatic experience or whatever it's you know while we don't all have the skills and the vocabulary to kind of deal with it one thing that we can actually do is to just suspend your judgment and suspend your disbelief and just listen and ask questions and find out facts. And that actually helps in the healing process of the other person. And then at the same time, you can also hold your hand, not literally hold your hand, but you can, you know, <laughs> you can tell them it's okay to, you know, seek professional help. Maybe do you need me to accompany you to the place or something like that? Yeah. So actually that's the bare minimum we can do. Holding, mm-hmm. We're holding your own judgments and just, attentively listen to mm. people because sometimes all we want is for our experiences and emotions to be validated. Yeah, and you must always understand that these people, right, they chose you to share their problems with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, out of like everyone in the world, right, they are confiding in you because there's a certain level of trust and in the back of the mind, they have some expectation for, you know, some level of support that they want. So, like, yeah. why would you you know, give them yeah. like, like something that, that's absolute rock bottom, right? You want them to receive like whatever they need to receive at that moment and what they need to receive at that moment is your concern and your listening ear. Yeah, and if you're going through with them recovery, just be very patient with them because um, when I went through mine, I have a lot of, a lot of my memories were slowly unraveling and um, it so at first I thought the situation was A and A became B and then because uh, more and more details were surfacing and it's actually a very scary thing. Imagine living living it again. And um, I think one thing you can do is not only to like hold your judgment, but you know, sometimes if you don't have the right thing to say, just don't say it at all. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I do realize that a lot of people they tend to say things and then when they do say it, it actually has more harm than good. Although mm. there's good intentions, but yeah. So sometimes I'll have to sit back after the whole conversation when I'm mentally stable enough, I'll be like, yeah, actually it's bad for my own good, but it still hurt me. Yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very funny that actually to build rapport with some people, what you need to do is really just like sit beside them and not say too much. Like I said just now, when people want to open up, they will open up. Correct. People are opening up to you, especially if they're sharing certain experiences in detail. It's actually them uh, revealing their rawest human form. And um, all I ever wanted was that person to accept me for who I am, true and true. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I hope like if anyone is listening out there that is not is not like a survivor or you know is someone they know someone that is going through something yeah listen to them and appreciate the fact that they are actually approaching to you because they are coming to you with nothing and like they are is basically the rawest human form of themselves mm. and don't don't attack that raw human form because it's already so fragile already (laughs) (laughs) and that was the mini-series about sex sexual health and taboo thank you all so much for listening please follow us on our social media tiktok and instagram at bthpodsg and twitter at bthpodcastsg look for our dark blue logo and the links are all in the show notes Remember to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if your app allows, set it to auto-download so you can get the latest episodes sent to your device the moment they're out. If you haven't listened to the other episodes about sex, go ahead and listen to episodes 17 and 18 right after this. See you guys in the next episode.